Welcome once again to the Spotlight on Sport. This week, rather than tackle a social issue, we take a look at sporting finals. Of course, we have two massive grand finals here in Australia to cover, and to preview them with me are Jeff Dickinson-Fox and Andrew Pyloxy. And, of course, that AFL grand final is not the only final we have this week, but it certainly will be a thrilling one. Well, we are privileged to be joined by a former Western Bulldogs captain, a man who has played 226 games for the Bulldogs, is an AFL commentator for Channel 7, Triple M, and a co-host on Triple M Melbourne's Hot Breakfast, Luke Darcy, welcome. And Darcy, you had a pretty good uh, final commentary stint at the end of last week's game. Yeah, hi Chris, um, thanks for having me on guys. Um, yeah, pretty emotional mate, I have to admit, I was um, carrying on a little bit mate on the final siren, I was uh, starting to lose it. And um, But I think probably when you've uh, had a fair bit of your heart, uh, the red, white and blue of your life, it's, um, it's probably not surprising. So, it's, yeah, it's been an amazing time, amazing week to be involved and, um, yeah, really excited about the grand final. So what's, what's been the highlight of the... So it's Andrew here. What's been the highlight of the week so far for you in the build-up for the big game? I've just come from training literally this, this moment now and, um, you know, it's where we used to play our home games, you know, right throughout the start of my career and... You know, played in the last ever home game with Noble, so to be there today and see um, fifteen thousand, you know, plus Bulldog fans filling that ground, you know, for a, for a training session, a grand final, it just felt pretty surreal. Actually, it felt um, it felt like something you've dreamed of all your life, and it was just a really um, awesome moment to be out there. I was catching up with a lot of um, a lot of old teammates I hadn't seen for a while that were all wandering back to the club, and it was you know, it was a really really awesome experience. Yeah, speaking of the game that they beat. Uh, it- Bulldogs beat the Greater Western Sydney and obviously there was uh, buses full of Bulldogs fans going to attend that game and uh, yeah Luke Beveridge uh, the coach offered uh, $10 to all the people on that bus for a free breakfast uh, is that uh, are there any other stories showing just how much passion there is for this club and, and the desperation to uh, to finally get that elusive grand final win? Oh yeah there's uh, how long have you got I can give you another four hours if you like on, on passionate, passionate supporters and and stories and people that, you know, were born, you know, shortly after, you know, 1954, you know, 60 years of of following this club and haven't seen a grand final and, you know, people that, uh, you know, lived around the corner from the ground and dreamt of this their whole life. I, I reckon I, I spoke to dozens of people who thought last Saturday night was the best night of their life and and just soaking in, you know, something that they've probably dreamed of, uh, which is you know, seeing the team play in a grand final. So it is... Yeah, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes um, you know, look at the Bulldogs as a small club without a lot of supporters. Um, I think, I think what you're saying is there is a huge amount of uh, passion, huge amount of support. The club, you know, nearly went under a number of times, you know, throughout the, the late '80s and even the early, you know, early '90s when I was around. So, you know, to see them as strong and healthy and and uh, firing as they are is quite a, quite an amazing thing. And just personally for you, Das, is there a particular highlight for? you that's happened during the Bulldogs journey this year? Because as you've said a couple of times, it has been an emotional one. Yeah, it's probably hard, Chris, to limit it to one, one thing. I, you know, I think it's really emotional watching Rob Murphy, who's a great friend, you know, get injured in round three. And along the way, you've just seen other great players go down. And you thought, oh, that'll, you know, from the outside looking in, you think, oh, that'll be too much. They're a brave team, but too hard to come back from here. They lose another player and they lose Libertura and they lose Mitch Wallace and they lose Marcus Adams and they lose Matt Suckling for a lot of the year and Easton Wood had a serious injury and Johannesson and they just kept finding a way. They just kept 
fronting up. Lin Jong broke his collarbone as well, and um, so yeah, it's been um, it's been remarkable. They're a really brave, courageous group, and and I think they. And I do too. I think they're, they're a massive chance to win on Saturday. So where, where do you think they've been able to get that self-belief even when everyone else has written them off after all of those injuries, Luke? Well, their coach is pretty unique. He's, he's an amazing amazing guy and I think so much of the heartbeat of a footy club comes from the coach and he's got enormous belief, you know, I think firstly in himself and, and that flows through the players. He, he buys into all their stories. He's got great, you know, empathy for them all. He's also a you know, great smart tactical coach and he's built this you know incredible um resilience and and self-belief in the group and i think they uh you can't fake that i think that's just genuine i think i don't think they fear anyone i don't think they um, are concerned about where they play who they play and what time it is they just turn up and and uh, generally compete really well and it's been good enough to get them into a grand final do, do you think that uh having a standalone reserves team has, has made a big difference in terms of, well, first of all, the fact that it won the um, the grand final a couple of years ago, do you think that's that's helped build confidence at the club or not? Yeah, I do. I really think it was a massive advantage the other sides had. Uh, Geelong's had a, a standalone VFL team for for a long time, and to be able to play your players, you know, in the same system that you want to play in the AFL, it, it, it's been enormous. So I think it's a good question because players come out of that VFL side knowing exactly the role that they're going to be chosen for in the AFL, and I think that's helped them with the injuries. They've been able to you know, replicate roles by having their own team. It's been, been massive for them. And the other thing, Das, going back more for this weekend, what do you think the Bulldogs will need to do to shut down Sydney? Because they are an excellent side. Do you have any thoughts on Sydney? Well, I think what we've seen in the last two finals, their midfield's just uh, amazingly tough, and they... Uh, you know, they've knocked the last two teams out in the first quarter by just being tougher and, and you know, Parker and Kennedy and Isaac Heaney in the last two finals have just been unbelievable. So I think, you know, first they've got to match them in that area, but I think that's their strength, the Bulldogs. I think they stand up to that as well as anyone. They've played really well against Sydney in the last uh, couple of years, had a great win over them at the start. So I think, you know, matching them there is really important. And then I think their team defence has, you know, held them in good stead. They don't get scored against heavily. So um, I, I think there's, you know... Uh, a few things I need to get right, but I'm pretty confident they will. Defence has certainly been one of the hallmarks of their play this year. They really haven't conceded a lot of goals throughout the year. Yeah, it has. Yeah, they're they're amazing. It's, it's real team defence, and you know you saw Jack Stringer go out of the side for a couple of weeks, but yeah, you know, I think every player's got to buy into all aspects of the way Luke Beveridge wants them to play. And if you don't do that, you don't play. And I think um, as as good a player as Jack Stringer is, he you know, needed to work on a few of those areas. So sends a pretty strong message about what's expected and that's part of the reason why they're in a grand final. And yes, it's going to be a big week uh, with the grand final on Saturday. Uh, Luke, what coverage uh, can you be found on for the grand final this weekend? I'll be calling the game on Triple M footy with, um, with James Brayshaw and uh, uh, Danny Frawley and uh, Brian Taylor. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and then I... I jump on to seven before the game for a couple of hours. We do a pre-game show, and then as soon as the siren sounds, Brian Taylor and I host the uh, host the uh, the rooms afterwards. So you'll see a pretty happy person in the Bulldog rooms if it goes that way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Luke Darcy, thank you very much for joining Spotlight on Sports. Thanks, guys. Any particular thoughts on that grand final? For me, I think one of the key moments was Jake Stringer, after a massive 
opportunity for GWS and they get out of the inside 50 with a scoring shot. They're all celebrating and the umpire of you sees that it's just touched Jake Stringer's finger. Just minutes later, the Bulldogs run down the other end with Johannesson and score a fantastic goal to take. Yeah, they were, there were a couple of very crucial moments there, that's for sure. That Johannesson one was, was just a fantastic moment in the game. The, the speed that he moved at was incredible. When one, was, one of his teammates just got that little tiny kick that happened to end parlance, up in his hands. To use soccer parlance, that was on the breakaway after Jake Stringer got his finger on the ball. So, And then Bontempelli Bont just controlled the ball so beautifully after it was put out in front of him by Johannesson with a really good kick. So two crucial onto. moments, one after the yeah, other. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was just a, a fantastic passage of play. And then just, I think, the emotion of realising it right at the end of the game too, uh, that the Bulldogs had it won when they took that mark inside 50. That and was... there were only about 28 seconds left on the clock. And you just thought, well... All he has to do is hang on to the ball now and use up the time, and then I think Luke Darcy, seconds. Luke Darcy realised that as he's just said, and whilst he might have said during his interview that he was carrying on and ranting and raving, I think that'll go down as one of the all-time great uh, AFL calls. Yeah, I mean, surely we want to see see a bit of emotion and see that these things mean something to someone. And the Jake Stringer fingertip on the goal. I mean, I saw that on replay and. I wasn't able to hear the commentary, but I thought there wasn't a way that you could be conclusively sure that there was actually a fingertip on that ball. What did you guys think? Yeah, you can zoom in. And well, yeah, well, that's what I saw, the zoom in shot, but it's just not because of the frame. See, because it gets so distorted. Exactly. Yeah, I, when I they think slow so, it down because I think much. you see his finger, his finger move as the ball goes past. So I don't think it was me, close enough, though. Yeah, I thought that's I, my okay. view. I, I thought I, I, to be honest, I found it pretty hard to tell. I mean, I was thinking, oh, can I really see his finger move there or is it because I'm I'm hoping it was touched <laughs> because yeah. I said well, going for the doggies. <laughs> if it's not touched, then we have um, a tied game, perhaps. Oh, yeah, whoever knows what would have happened if that, that thing hadn't happened when it did. But but I think bring that brings us to our next point. Perhaps what did let GWS down a bit and we've been saying it all season in terms of even though Jeff and I famously said that we were on the Bulldogs, uh, on the GWS bandwagon, uh, we had been mentioning a couple of times, especially you, Andrew, how their lack of finals experience might come back to hurt them a little bit, and it might have done so here with the Dogs. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we fought that, and they've been written off so many times, both before and, and during the finals. Um, but even just in the media in general. But really, I mean, I guess as Luke Darcy discussed, um, the coach, Luke Beveridge, has really managed to instill a great sense of belief in all the players, and they're just really playing as a team, and they seem to have that real belief. They don't, they're not intimidated by anyone, as, as Luke alluded to. And, um, yeah, it's it's That's a great really story you mentioned. Great uh, to watch. About Luke Beveridge, Jeff, uh, with the... Free ten dollar lunch. That's a that's an incentive to get get behind your team. Yeah, it's something you don't see these days in in professional sport. Normally, if there's an offer like that from a club, it's it's got strengths attached. You know, get ten dollars off if you spend thirty dollars or something like this. But what it was just a nice individualized, personal, physical note written from the coach, not some PR scripted thing. 
with a ten dollar note there, no strings attached. Spend it whatever you want, but design for a free lunch to get from one of the food stalls uh, available on on game day. But yeah, such a great story. They they thoroughly deserve success they've had so far in the finals. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just been so exciting after we've we've had Hawthorne in the grand final every year for the last few seasons. <laughs> it's, it was getting a little tired. I mean. You sort of think, well, how many times does the one team have to be there and have that success? It's just great to see fans who have been hanging in there for so long rewarded like this. It really is fantastic. And I'm sure that a lot of Australians will be backing the Bulldogs regardless of whether or not they follow the team. And the other preliminary final this weekend, not perhaps as much of an exciting game, but still very comprehensive performance by the Sydney Swans, beating Geelong, as we said last week, in their first meeting since 1934 at the MCG. Yeah, I still can't believe that, but uh, yeah, Geelong just didn't seem to turn up mentally for that contest. Um, do you think, Chris, that they had anything to do with the the uh, fact that they hadn't played very much with the, the bye before the finals and then having the other week off or not? Do you think that had any played any part? Yeah, and I think as much as that may have played a part, another thing that might have played a part is that Sydney were the exact opposite. They were fit and firing and they were strong and convincing against Adelaide. They'd given 100% there and they were ready and raring to go to give 100% again last Friday. So I think while Geelong weren't match fit, Sydney were. And that mm. was the difference between the two sides. Yeah, the Cats didn't really seem to get going at all until after half time, by which stage it was, it was really a bit late. <laughs> too late. Yeah. And both the grand finalists in the AFL were teams that didn't have the finals week off by. Sydney was meant to win in the first round, but lost. And and this is what, before the final started, we had that first time a bye before, between the end of the regular season and the start of the final series. And, you know, the questions were. Is it actually, if you get another week off, is it going to be a helpful thing? And, and Alistair Clark, I remember, said he had no idea how to approach it because he didn't know if he wanted an extra week off or to play that extra that extra game. But uh, clearly it seems like uh, playing more than is, is what teams need. And surely, I know it might be a little bit disappointing for Geelong fans, but the team won't be too disappointed with a nice brown there for Paddy Dangerfield and certainly some honours with the Jim Steins Award for... Jimmy Bartell, which is lovely to see Geelong still having something to smile about. Yeah, yeah well, um, obviously Dangerfield was no surprise to anyone. Yeah. He's a very widely tipped uh, favourite, but yeah, it was good to see um, Jimmy get get acknowledged for uh, the, the work he's doing to try to uh, reduce domestic violence. And of course, the AFL Grand Final, not the only Grand Final we'll be enjoying this week. It seems as though with the Bulldogs, if you're not in Sydney, you'll be backing the Bulldogs. But with our other grand final, the NRL grand final, if you're not in Sydney, then you'll be surely back in Cronulla. And if you're not in Victoria, you'll be back in Cronulla as well, because it'll be Cronulla Sharks and the Melbourne Storm taking part. So Melbourne Storm, obviously. I wouldn't actually personally mind seeing... 
Cronulla win this week because fans have obviously been waiting for a long time. Hang on, are you happy for that to go on record for Jordan to hear? Just as a you know a fan of a, a team that's been striving for a long time to to win a premiership, I, I can relate to other fans who are in that boat. I guess. What, <laughs> what about, about you, Jeff? Jeff? The final score, of, you know, the Sharks won thirty two twenty. It didn't really reflect how far these teams were apart. The the Sharks were against North Queensland. Against North Queensland, thank you. They were much better than North than the Cowboys, and probably to sum it up in a sentence, it would be that the Cowboys were completely lacking the energy that as to what the Sharks brought up with their week off from competition because the Cowboys played a hard 90 minutes against the Broncos and weren't able to match Cronulla early in the game because of the fatigue and just got, got behind early and never could make up a lot of errors and they could never make them up. They did score a couple of tries, but that was very much towards the last 10, 20 minutes. The result was was settled before they put some points on, and the Cowboys missed 55 tackles. Now, I don't remember the last time I've seen a team miss 55 tackles, and the Sharks missed just 15. So that's that's where your game is almost won and lost right there. And they had 11 errors, and mostly in the first half. So James Maloney, best on field. He scored 20 points himself, equaling what the Cowboys scored. That was how that final went. Speaking of massive errors, with the Storm Raiders game that came a day after, huge moment in the match with Edric Lee for the Raiders, massive chance to get the Canberra Raiders back on board and really in contention for pushing Melbourne as hard as possible, and he fumbles the ball. Would have been a certain try, he's missed it, and you could have seen his reaction, he was furious with himself that he'd missed out on the opportunity to potentially put Canberra through. Yeah, and that was at the 72-minute mark, I've noted, that that incident. And, yeah, it certainly looked like a try coming up for all money, didn't it, Jeff? Yeah, well, he was clear. Catching that ball, he had about five metres to get to the try line, and the covering Storm players weren't going to reach him in time. So it's almost certain to say he wouldn't have been touched by a defender in scoring a try if he was able to catch that ball. So it's and Edric Lee knows this and, and he's all his teammates do and they've tried to console him, but even Cooper Cronk straight after the game, that was the first person he approached once the full time siren went. But uh yeah, the Raiders played better than the Storm and Storm are lucky to get through to the grand final. Is he normally a sure handler of the ball, Edric Lee or not? No, nah, so he's in terms of the whole the wingers and the back line for the Raiders, he's He's, uh, I don't want to say the worst, but he still doesn't have as much of a profile as as everyone else in that backfield. So if the Storm's going to give anyone a chance to win, it's it's Edric Lee because he's uh, all the other players there are, are more talented. He's always in the background. He can't quite, he hasn't quite progressed to, to become a better player in the last couple of years, and, and this will really hurt. Yeah, so it wasn't really just a case of the the nerves of a preliminary final got to him so much as he's a bit erratic anyway. Well, it probably did because because there's other players in that back line who are who are their strike players. Lee doesn't get the ball much, and for you know a tight game in a final, and the ball's coming your way, you're the deciding factor in in points. It's fair to say the pressure got to him. Yeah, and it looked like that. He looked like he had a mountain of pressure on him when he missed the tackle. And the other, I guess, key moment, tactically, both revolved around Korobiti, where, first of all, he's tackled a 
Raiders player, sorry, mental blank on who, but he's tackled one of the Raiders players over the line. Jack Whiten tackled uh, Jack Corabini. White in both cases. Okay. So Jack Whiten, he's taken Corabini and he's tackled Jack Whiten over the line for a line dropout for Melbourne Storm, which results in a try. And then again, reverse the situation. Jack Whiten comes to stop Corabini on an incredible run to the try line, tackles him, holds him for too long. It's a penalty, and he gets sent into the bin. So one key moment with Corbiti leads to a try. The other key moment leads to one of the key players for the Raiders getting sent off for 10 minutes, a crucial 10 minutes in the game, and that also led to another try. Corbiti did well, I guess. Yeah, he's... This is his last year with the Melbourne Storm. He plays for the Melbourne Rebels next year, and uh, he's the he's been the best uh, back for the. Well, actually, that's hard to say as well because Melbourne have so many great backs. But he his performance was was critical to the result. He was one of the best for the Storm on Saturday night. So, what what did you think of that White and send off? Anyway, was that the yeah? Right was that call? a bit um bit of a lenient uh, penalty? It was spot on. There's, uh, it's clear cut. You won't find anyone with a disagreeing opinion at this stage. As soon as the penalty was given, it, it was to referee with hand single ten in the bin. It was the referee was clear cut. It wasn't wait around for a minute. Let me decide. Let me get the whole the video referee the bunker. No, it was clear. He was gone. Eventually, we we're playing on, and Melbourne scored in the re- resulting two minutes after that send off. And you just happened to mention the uh, the bunker there. That was something that I was going to raise with you because not long after that, in fact, a couple of minutes after, we had an incident where Storm scored what looked to be a, a clear try, uh, at least to me, and then the bunker was called into action, as it so often seems to be. Um, the call was to check for an obstruction. Um, did, did you feel there was anything that looked at all like an obstruction in that incident or not? Yeah, it was potentially an obstruction. Some of these things, you see a try go through like this one that was, and it was, it looked like there was no... You look, you're focusing on the ball and the ball handler, so when things... Sometimes there's too much space. When someone scores a try that easy and there's players screaming at the referee to try and review something, normally there is something there, and in this case, there was enough to potentially an obstruction which warranted a, a review, but uh, the right decision was made. So when you say potentially an obstruction, how how far off the ball are you talking in regard to that? It's got to be... So that's the... It's a grey area. It's got to be within an area of the ball that would have an impact on the path of the try scorer. So generally within about 10, 15 metres of where the ball is. And just before we move on to our main discussion for the week about how... The rest of the world tackled their finals matches. A quick preview from both of you guys about these two finals. I, firstly, for the NRL, I'm thinking that an attacking team like Granada, a more defensively based Storm team, Storm, as we've mentioned, they will be up against it. They don't have a home crowd behind them, and I'm sure that the stadium at Sydney is going to be probably quite vociferous against them, if anything. But I'd be backing the Storm to do what they do best and defensively hold Cronulla up for a close win. It's tough. I'm not quite sure. My tip is 
involves a bit of both teams because, okay, I'll start with my tip for who's most likely to win the grand final is the Sharks. The uh, Storm, they, they haven't been able to score many points in the last four to five weeks. The Sharks will play similar to the Raiders, and the Raiders were better than the Storm last week. And both teams, in whatever year, when they make the grand final, they're not changing the way they play. They just stick to what they know. And if the Sharks can play their best attacking football, which the Raiders almost got to themselves last week, we showed, we saw it was enough to beat the Storm. And the Sharks, with some great sunny weather predicted on Sunday, I think the conditions suit them and the occasion suits them to get over the Storm. I'm going to tip the Storm, but not with any huge degree of confidence. I think it'll probably be fairly tight. And as I said before, I wouldn't begrudge the Sharks if they... They won for and their you, fans. And you can't go wrong tipping the Storm. You've got Cooper Cronk playing in his sixth grand final this week. And last night, he just won the Dallium Player of the Year tie with the Cowboys chasing Tom Lolo. So you've got a guy in red-hot form who's played six grand finals, won most of them. Again, a couple uh, stripped because of salary cap reasons, but outside of his control. <laughs> yep. But And Cameron Smith, who's played five NRL grand finals. With these two guys, if it's at the back end of the game... And the Storm have a lead. You've you've got to be backing those two to finish the game with a, a premiership win for the Storm. And then before we touch on our grand final predictions for the AFL this week, I uh, put together a little compilation of the finals predictions that we've all had from uh, from a few weeks ago up until now over this series. The Bulldogs have made a lot of changes for this game. Supposedly five players coming in. We've got Easton Wood back, Tom Liberatore, Jack McRae, Jordan Roughhead and Jake Stringer. And I've got question marks on how well some of those players will go. One question mark, I guess, is going to be over those injured players who came back in last week. There is that issue, I guess, that sometimes when you come back from some time out of the game and you, you play a game, then, then the week after that it can catch up with you sometimes. So that that's a little bit of a concern. But I'm going to go out on a limb and tip the Bulldogs this week. I'm tipping Greater Western Sydney to have a good run in the finals. I'm pretty sure the Swans will go well. It's reasonable to accept Sydney to, to get over Greater Western Sydney for sure. Sydney, you've yeah. got to think, will be there definitely in the Premier League finals, most likely in the Grand Final. I think Hawks maybe just to push their luck a bit, so going with the Bulldogs. Adelaide will run Sydney really close. I'd go with Adelaide. Sydney just look fragile. I'm not ready to rule out the potential All-Sydney Grand Final, so I think that lives on at least another week. I was surprised by Sydney being such outsiders. And, you know, they've got the experience. They've got a good win last week. They're looking like a formidable side. Geelong's going to win that one this week. They'll have a big advantage with, the, with fitness after having the, the week off, while Sydney had to put the extra work in to win that game against Adelaide and, and had some injury problems. <laughs> I think the Grand Final winner is coming out of whoever wins Geelong and, and the Swans. So there we have it from Jeff Dickinson Fox. Is still sticking with it? Still going to be a Sydney Sydney victory? Still sticking with a, a Sydney victory. Just because, I mean, they are the favourites now for this game, even though they weren't the favourites last week against Adelaide. It's, it's hard to go past them. I just, uh, at risk of sounding, of being on that complicated compilation like uh, Andrew was uh, questioning the Bulldogs, I think... I uh, think every second word was question mark. I've got a question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> That's all right, but look, I'll I'll join him with the question mark if he chooses for a question mark this week. They've so much energy, and it's hard to say after having Luke Darcy on, but so much energy for these Bulldogs to not only get up for finals week one, but week two, week three, week four, and just such an emotional drain And on this compared to the other teams going through the finals. It, I just think that they may drop 
their standard this week and, and it might even be, a, you know, a 20, 30, 40-point win for the Swans. Yeah, yeah. I don't know because people just keep writing the Bulldogs off and they just keep finding a way. So well, that I, I've is, got a feeling they might do it again. That is one point that you do make very well, Jeff, that the Bulldogs have had, no doubt, the toughest run into the finals. Not only did they scrape in their seventh position on the ladder to actually get into the finals contest, but they've had to win every single week to stay alive. Whereas you look at Sydney, you look at Hawthorne, you look at other teams in the race, and with the exception of West Coast, who they beat in the first round, the other teams have had opportunities there should they have lost well, obviously, to get Sydney, back on the Sydney horse. did in the first and week of the Sydney, finals. Sydney but... lost, Hawthorne lost. They still managed to have a second chance. The Bulldogs haven't had a second chance. They've had to win everything to get where they are. And perhaps, as you say, a final win may stretch them a bit too far. But I, I say no. I stick with Andrew. And I think they've done well to get this far and they've defied everyone's expectations. As Andrew said in his own words, they've found a way and I think they'll find a way again. But it will be incredibly close. This, just like the GWS game, I don't think we're going to see a game like the first two weeks of the finals for Bulldogs where they completely blew Hawthorne and West Coast away. If it's going to, if they're going to win, they're going to win fighting tooth and nail, giving every last breath to get there in the last quarter, I think. And the last two clashes against the Swans that the Bulldogs played, they won them both. It was 83-79 in round 15 this year. And then also a four-point margin last year, and both those games played at the SCG. So they've the Bulldogs have won against the Swans, playing in a pressure environment already. So that's got to be some positive, something that they can take confidence in. So are you thinking about changing your tip there? No, Jeff? I'm dead set on <laughs> Sydney <to> guns. <laughs> yep, and there's enough of uh, anti-Bulldogs chat from me this week to for it to be played back next week if I am wrong. I like that, uh, and as usual. We have a main discussion this week as well, thinking about finals in sport more generally. Everyone around the world seems to have a different way of addressing this in sports like uh, NBA or NF NHL. We have massive drawn-out final series where rather than just one game, even when you do narrow it down to there's two teams left in the competition – it's this massive, long, drawn-out seven-game series and it goes from town to town to town to town depending on who's playing where and what game of the series it is rather than let's get one game out of the road one time at one venue. And I think there's a difference between a grand final and a final. A grand final comes from a sport that has a month-to-month competition that runs for you know six months of the year and it's one game to decide the winner. And as you were saying, Chris, these other sports that have seven-game series or or you know, the only requirement is for, for me to call it not to be a grand final is that if it has more than one match to decide an eventual champion. So grand finals are much more prestigious than what a final is. Like if, if you're talking about the Australian Open final, it's, you know, it's a final, but it's 
two weeks of competition and it's, it hasn't taken that long to get there. But a grand final is something, you know, ask a Western Bulldogs fan, uh, they'll tell you how hard it is to, to get one and, and play well for a full long season. There's some sort of magic, I think, about having that, that one day that decides everything. Uh, I wish it had decided things a bit differently for my Saints at times. <laughs> but, you know, it, there's well, so much about riding that. on that well, one. Well, with day. the Saints, they had an extra week and it didn't work for them. They had the one week with the grand final repeat and they just completely bombed. Yeah, I mean, things repeat. might have gone very differently if we'd played extra time on the day, but yeah. I guess we'll never yeah. know now. Sorry, you were going to say something else, said you. Let's okay. ask about that. The first you've had, there was a grand final replay involving St Kilda and Collingwood in 2010. Yep, that's right. Did you go to the MCG for either of those games? Yeah, I was there for both. And yep. and the first game, what, what was the reaction like at full time? Uh, well, I think my my first reaction, even probably before the siren actually blew, when I when I could see that it was going to end up being a draw, because I, I I just knew that it wasn't long till the siren, and I think some people even had radios and so on were suggesting that. I think my first reaction was to think, oh goodness me, I shouldn't have made that joke about it being a a draw when I was in at the office this week. <laughs> the fact that we might be back doing it all again because I was working with Collingwood oh, supporters. Dear. Um, yeah, I, I just thought, oh no, I have to go through the whole thing because you've got all that build up, you've got all the excitement of grand final week, but then you've got all the nerves as well. Just and what happened between full time and the match a week, a full week later, that, that week there, do they go about similar grand final fest, do they still do another parade? What happens? No, well, that's the thing they don't. There's a, there's sort of that emptiness, I guess, compared to what there was initially it's 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 just not like the same week again it's just like a more of a normal week i guess so yeah it's it's a little bit hollow in that regard and i suppose it's easier to say it's hollow retrospectively now that we didn't win the the replay but yeah it's it's a very different week so i think we're all unanimous in our agreement that the one day big grand final as opposed to a final or final series is better, but I do have to slightly disagree with you on one point there, Jeff, that you work harder in some ways for a grand final than a final series because if you take, for example, the NBA or the NHL, you're playing your seven-game series not just for the final series but for the quarterfinals and the conference finals and the Western, your little quarterfinals as well all the way through the competition and I guess it depends on the team who they're playing and depends on the sport as well but if most of your finals go to a seven game series it's a massive effort and you'd be exhausted by the time you get to your final match of the final series particularly the the NBA is sort of the exception there how they play an 82 game regular season and have four rounds of finals that can be the best of seven series. And then with 30 teams in the competition... With the NHL as well, you've got 32 teams and you have the same setup with four rounds of seven-match series. And that's stretched across two countries. More than five or six, I think, Canadian teams and quite a few of the American teams as well in the league. Sounds like one heck of a toll on the body playing that many games in the NHL. Yeah, Ice hockey's a bit of a, a rough sport. Like, as as Jeff said, it's it's a can be a long time, and 
you can start off your final series with a completely different team to the one that you end up with with the NHL, just owing to all the injuries and everything like that. Yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. And then what about so that's you know the sporting aspect of the, of the grand final, you know the players preparing for a game and and how much one grand final means to one person or, or grand final or final means to a person in one sport compared to a person in another. Uh, but we have seen at grand finals, it's not just about the sports, it's about the entertainment before the game. It's about, you know, the suspension and, and then the the chaos that ensues after full suspension. time. We might have to create a, a file of all the bloopers because that's a new one, suspension rather than suspense. Yeah, that's a funny one. I didn't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we've had, uh, i just thinking of, Grand Finals and last year at the A League Grand Final, you know it's a it's a trophy presentation and and the Frank Lowy is on his way to <laughs> present the trophy and off he goes for a little tumble off stage. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've had anything quite like that in the AFL as yet. Credit credit to them though the, the broadcasters, um, Fox Sports and SBS, they did it in a very dignified way. They didn't. Well, I went back looking about it and. Zoom in on his face as he's lying there on the ground, <laughs> collapsing. I went back looking at that footage, and because it was a presentation ceremony, there was no one commentating at the time. So <laughs> it was it was a fall met with silence and, but, and uh, shock from the crowd. No doubt, for me, the best fall of all time of a sporting sporting figure has to be Sepp Blatter reaching out to shake the hand of one of the uh, FIFA dignitaries and tripping off the stage. That was that was a gold moment for me. It probably wasn't the only way that Sepp Blatter fell down. <laughs> fall, fall from grace in more than one way, I think we can say about Sepp Blatter. Yeah, we had an AFL grand final recently where before the game, the entertainment highlight was meatloaf and talk about a fall from grace. That was a, a shocking performance. That's He's had his uh, album out just recently, 300 copies. That's all the great man can muster now after that grand final. 300 oh. copies for a legend like Meatloaf. Wow. That I, I was fortu- fortunate enough to have missed that performance in 2011, but I, <laughs> I did hear that the suggestion was that the Meatloaf had been left out in the sun for a little too long. Yeah, the Meatloaf is meatloaf is going off if he's only selling 300 copies of his new album. But um, what about uh, world tournaments? We've said that the round-robin stuff and perhaps the American League stuff doesn't have the same kind of build-up and grandiose atmosphere about it as a grand final. But uh, what about when it comes to, uh, say, a FIFA World Cup or a, or a Cricket World Cup? With the FIFA World Cup, yes, it is your quick two, three-week, perhaps even one-month tournament at, at the most, and then you have a big one-day final. That depends how you look at it, though, I guess, because, in terms yeah. of the World Cup, because you you've got qualifying for ages. And you, or you look at it as being a four-year almost from the second the first World Cup cycle ends, the new one starts and you do all your qualifications. So you look at it as being a short tournament, I guess it doesn't really mean much, or you can say it means heaps because it's effectively a four-year tournament. Mm. But why do you say it doesn't mean much, so if, just because well, the actual we're, we're finals saying, is a shorter We're not period. saying that it doesn't mean much, but we're saying that it doesn't have the same atmosphere, the same feeling to it as what we've just agreed on as the grand final would. 
but perhaps it yeah. does because you've been waiting four years to do the qualification process. I don't really know also what percentage of, of the true fans managed to get in for the World Cup final, well, for instance. I mean, obviously that's a problem even with the with AFL the grand Cup, final. Here's the thing. FIFA have more members on their on their organisation than the UN does. We're, that's pretty remarkable for a sporting body. So, A, that shows you just how many people, many countries actually enter the uh, World Cup qualifying process. And B, the other thing as well is I can't really give you any stats for participation in the World Cup itself, but I can tell you that in the Euros, you're one of the teams that won many hearts and minds, Iceland, of course, they had 10% of their little population go off to the Euros. Yeah, they had some pretty good turnouts, and I think they won a lot of fans because I, I seem to recall they, uh, they knocked off England at some point there, didn't they? That's pretty good. 10% of your fans go and see and watch uh, your team draw with Portugal and beat England. Were they the ones that had the Viking clap? Yes, the they, Viking clap? Yep. How about that? I mean, that's just getting picked up around the world. They now really it's gone all the way now. to Canberra. Has to. Oh, has it? Yeah. Canberra Raiders. Because oh, yeah, they have yeah. the Viking helmet. Yeah. As we mentioned a few weeks ago on our uh, broadcast, the Andrew wasn't convinced enough that the Viking helmet was cool enough to trump the coolness of the name, the Panthers. So he's gone with the Panthers. I tried to convince him a Viking hat is surely pretty cool. Yeah, we don't have to drink no up to that failed in. exactly. Again, do we? <laughs> so we'll be hearing about Papua New Guinea again and how he got that one right, won't we? Well, actually, <laughs> let's revisit that one because that game has been played. The um, Prime Minister's game against Papua New Guinea. That's it. The NRL game played uh, Saturday, it was, the same day as the AFL and NRL finals. And Chris tipped a, a PNG upset. Uh, for the second time? For the second time, hoping for a similar... Miracle. A PNG win. <laughs> this one played in PNG. Final score: Australia fifty-six, <laughs> PNG zero. Fifty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> so the PNG machine was just a little slow to get moving this time, was it, Chris? Didn't get moving at all. Apparently, didn't score a single try. So uh, that PNG prediction's fallen flat, but the other one didn't. <laughs> Sounds like someone just pushed his luck a little bit yeah, too far yeah. there, Jeff. <laughs> Possibly. Trying yeah. to go back to the same well again and it's run dry. Yep. We were talking about betting last week. I wonder what the odds would have been on a PNG upset for that. Wow. 56 nil. <laughs> That's blown up. Whatever face. the odds would have been for an upset, it wasn't going to do you much good now, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's interesting to hear from us all that we tend to prefer the big build-up over a six-month period for the for the quality grand final. And I hope it's going to be two quality grand finals that we do end up seeing. That's it for those two codes of football for NRL and AFL in Australia. But that's definitely not it from us at the Spotlight on Sports because we have the A-League and NHL kicking off soon, the NFL in full swing, and a packed cricket season coming up. And we'll no doubt have that for you, including Australia's tour of South Africa. I'm your host, Christians, and as usual, I've been joined by Andrew Parloxy and Jeff Dickinson-Fox.